We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. Yeah, you heard it there. It's Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. That's Chris Biederman. He covers the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. We had a little bit of technical issues on our Monday night pod that we're going to do during the season. So we're recording this Tuesday night. We're going to do the podcast a little bit differently. We're going to format it a little bit differently. Um, We've got some news to react to, and then we'll do big picture takeaways from the game uh, before kind of turning the page and moving on to week two. Uh, The news off top If uh, you have not heard, Debo Samuel had a setback with the Jones fracture in his foot, which is why he went on IR. Kyle Shanahan said they're still expecting him back week four against the Eagles. He also said that Brandon Ayuk should return for week two against the Jets. He said that he would be surprised if Ayuk would not return. And then George Kittle, his status for Sunday is unknown with a knee sprain. They're going to see how he does throughout the week of practice. But the bigger news on Tuesday was that Mohamed Sanu's agent reported that he agreed to a one-year deal with the 49ers and they needed some help badly at wide receiver and Sanu, I think, should provide it. Yeah, I think it was really a a smart uh, signing for the 49ers. He was available. It doesn't cost them anything in terms of draft capital. Um, So, yeah, I I think it makes a ton of sense. And with Richie James Jr. potentially... Going on the shelf now uh, for the foreseeable future with a hamstring injury. He'll. It sounds like he'll be out at least this week, um, and it could be longer. So the the way Kyle Shanahan talked about Richie James on Monday would indicate to me they're preparing potentially for a multi-week absence. And so with an open spot on the roster, um, or at least in the depth chart, 
adding somebody like Sanu is is a pretty sizable upgrade over the other options a team might have on the practice squad. They have three practice squad uh, wide receivers at the moment: River Craycraft, Kevin White, the former um, first round pick of the of the Chicago Bears, of course, and then um, Jawan Jennings, the recent seventh round pick. Um, I just think Sanu's better than all those guys, regardless of what happened in New England. So given what we've seen from, from the 49ers receiving core in, in just one game without Samuel and without Ayuk, um, it makes all the sense in the world to me to bring in Sanu because of his familiarity with the 49ers, uh, with the 49ers offense, essentially after playing for Kyle Shanahan in 2016. And, um, yeah, no qualms with it. If if there's any frustration in my voice, I just want everybody to know that we've been trying to record this pod for two days and have had all sorts of uh, of technical issues. So I'm knocking on wood. I'm crossing uh, crossing my fingers, hoping that we could record this without a hitch. Because uh, you know, I, like 49ers fans are frustrated with their team. You and I have been really frustrated with the fact that we haven't been able to get this podcast out despite trying. So bear with us. We're going to try to keep it positive and keep it light. But um, yeah, watch appreciate the, watch, everybody bearing with us. Watch quarters two through four of the 49ers offense on Sunday, and that's basically how this podcast recording has gone. Right. Through no Very fault of our scene. own. I don't think it's <laughs> it's our fault. I think it's technology. It's 2020. It's Juju. It's something. No, I'm not going to blame Juju Smith-Schuster. A couple touchdowns <laughs> on Monday night is good for him. So uh, real quick, the the thing I want to get to is uh, Mohamed Sanu has to pass three COVID tests before he can join the team. So I think the earliest he would be on the practice field is Friday, which, I mean, theoretically means he could play Sunday. I don't know how, how large of a role he, w- he would have, but I, I imagine that we will see him on the field Sunday. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, you know, I I really don't know. Um, Josina Anderson reported that he was flying out to the Bay Area on Tuesday, so I'm not sure exactly how much Sanu knows of the offense, if um, if he's in shape. It's been a few weeks since he's played actual football or at least practiced football um, after getting released by the Pats earlier in in early September. So, um, you know, I would assume he has a really good familiarity with the offense. I would guess as soon as he signs a deal, he'll get some version of the playbook on an iPad or something. Right. And, um, and he'll get refresher courses and, and probably be in on the position meetings via Zoom or something like that. I don't know that for a fact. We'll find out from Kyle Shanahan tomorrow when he addresses the media. But, um, yeah, if, if he's up on Sunday, it would be, it would be obviously a nice development for the 49ers. And, and just long term, I think, if your top three guys are um, in some order, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and Mohamed Sanu, I think that could be a pretty good receiving core potentially. If um, And then you still have guys like Trent Taylor and Kendrick Bourne who uh, still have value, but maybe not as much value if they have to be your top two guys. Well, and right. I, I think even just to your point, even if it's Bourne as the third receiver and Sanu as your four, I, I think even that is is an upgrade over what they have. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. It's it's really a um I don't see any downside. <laughs> Put it that know. way. That's yeah, that's <laughs> that's the way things are looking for the for the receiving core right now. It's that it's so bad without Samuel and Ayuk and now potentially Richie James, who wasn't really contributing a whole lot on offense, but still like you you need bodies and to get somebody off the scrap heap who has been productive in the offense um to me is a, is a nice get this early in the season so i need to get my daily and not daily podcast i need to get my my required plug in here that i i produce a radio show in the bay area at 95.7 the game <laughs> and today which one uh bonte steiny and guru the midday show 10 to 2 Pacific Time, Radio.com app if you're not in the Bay Area, 95.7 The Game, FM if you are. Anyways, um, I I don't want to say I was flabbergasted because like it's it's just so obvious, but Mike Francesa, WFAN, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, reported that Odell Beckham Jr. is on the trading block. The Browns are actively looking to trade Odell Beckham Jr., and then um, I believe his name is Brad Briggs, Brad Biggs, of the Chicago Tribune reported that Allen Robinson had inquired about uh, the Bears trading him. So it didn't sound like a full-blown trade request, but it was 
in that vein, which led to a lot of content on our airwaves today about should the 49ers trade for a wide receiver. And I just wanted to get that out there now because no. <laughs> like, it, it just, I, I wrote a whole piece about it at NinersWire.com. You can check it out. It's just, it's the same conversation we had about Jamal Adams, but with Odell Beckham Jr.'s name and Allen Robinson's name plugged in. Here's what, so I'm generally with you, um, but like we had this conversation, I think, before the Emmanuel Sanders trade last year, and I think we were in sort of a similar spot in that we both thought that the 49ers probably didn't need to make that trade, um, and then they ended up making the trade, and it turned out to be hugely beneficial, right? Like getting Emmanuel Sanders was really important for the 49ers in their run to the Super Bowl, even though he wasn't like a huge guy to have in the playoffs, he helped them win um, a lot of games and just elevated the receiving core. I don't know that necessarily Allen Robinson or Odell Beckham Jr. will do that. Not to say that Odell Beckham Jr. obviously isn't a great player, um, but like we talked about this in, in the group chat today there's a lot of risk in Odell Beckham Jr. right now. Like, you don't know if you're getting somebody who is teetering uh, right now. Like, his career could be teetering, and you don't want to bring him in and then have things go completely sideways because that could torpedo an entire season, right? Um, even at a relatively modest contract for a number one receiver, $15 million yeah. a year, uh, it doesn't sound modest, but DeAndre Hopkins is getting $27 million a year. Um, and Amari Cooper is getting $20 million a year. So at $15 million a year for, I believe, the next four seasons, three seasons, um, this season, maybe three more. I have to go back and look. But um, the value is, is kind of there, I think, unless he tries to push for a new contract, which is something he might do um, with the Browns or his next team or whatever. But... I am not as out on the idea of trading for one of those dudes as I normally would be. Normally, I'm against making big trades like this. and But the reason why is you're not going to... Odell Beckham Jr. isn't going to cost, like, multiple first-round picks, right? Like, the Browns gave up to get him at this point. Yeah. Um, and I don't think Allen Robinson would either. So, if you're looking at a scenario where, you know, like the Trent Williams trade, one of the reasons why the Trent Williams trade was so good for the 49ers is because... It cost him a third and a fifth. Right. Um, and so, you know, if if the value is there, um, then I think it makes sense to to make a move like that because we saw how we, – we know how important a good receiving core is um, if your window's wide open to win the Super Bowl, which, which you and I still think it is for the 49ers despite yep. um, the world ending on Sunday. <laughs> so – yeah, I'm I'm not completely out on the idea, but I do want to see and this is tricky too, but I do want to see Ayuk and Samuel on the field at once together. Right. Um before making any determination like that. The problem is Samuel's only going to have you know, maybe what, 3 games before the trade deadline now. That's if he comes back up October 4th, which I can't mm -hmm. guarantee that he's not going to have another setback because Jones fractures can be really tricky. Um, and Trent Taylor just had setback after setback after setback last year in trying to recover from a Jones fracture and didn't play the whole season. Um, so I'm not I'm not saying that that I think that is going to happen with Samuel, but it's it's in within the realm of possibility. So um, a lot of that is to say I'm not completely out on the idea of Odell Beckham Jr. Um, or Allen Robinson, but I think it's I think it's unlikely. I think it's more unlikely than it was last year when the 49ers got Sanders. I do too. Let's uh let's hit a quick break and get to our big picture takeaways from uh, from Sunday when the world ended. <laughs> hey, this football season will be different and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. That's me. I get up on Sunday, I bang out some yoga, get a healthy breakfast and then I hang out I grab a Pepsi and I'm smashing Pepsi while I am watching football all day Sunday it is among my favorite things these passionate fans are the real that's you that's me that's Chris these passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels 
That's right. I am fueled by Pepsi because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi made for football watching. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever. And Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire, with 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month. Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. All right, let's talk about what happened Sunday. Yes, let's do that. It wasn't good, and I don't want it to come across like either of us thought it was good. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, the season is not over. It's going to be okay. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo does not need to be replaced by Nick Mullins. Uh, heard it twice in the last two days on the radio, by the way. Um, <laughs> it's all right. Like, the, <laughs> there's there's 15 more games, and just because the Niners didn't start 8-0 doesn't mean this season is a total failure. Well, I just wanted to get that off my chest. Yeah, so the game does count. It does. Um, but week ones are notoriously weird. Very. And uh, I, I think, and I'm not here to be a 49ers apologist or make excuses for him, but like, mm. how weird is week one? Ask Jim Tom Sula or ask Chip Kelly. Because you remember in 2015 when the 49ers hosted uh, the Minnesota Vikings uh, on the second Monday night game. They thumped the the Vikings, and all the talk about Jim Tom Sula being over his skis felt like, hey, maybe the 49ers actually have something. Maybe the 49ers could potentially be good and find some of the spark that was, you know, apparent early in the Jim Harbaugh era and be a playoff caliber football team. Well, the 49ers went 5-11 and uh, and ended up not being very good. The same happened the next season with Jim Tomsula's replacement, Chip Kelly, when the Niners thumped the Rams. And then uh, a lot of people thought th- that Chip Kelly's 49ers might look something like uh, Chip Kelly's Eagles when they went 10-6 and six and, and went to the playoffs early in his tenure there. So, you know, things happen in week one that are atypical to the rest of the season. That said, I still think there are things the 49ers should be concerned about. But on the other hand, too, I think the Cardinals could be a legitimate problem. Yeah. Um, and I know I just pointed to, you know, teams playing really well week one who ended up being bad uh, in those two 49ers teams. But I think Arizona with Kyler Murray right. um, could be a legitimate problem. And we'll talk about them. Um, later on, because this is this is a podcast about the 49ers. But um, yeah, let's get to it. Let's get let's talk about our concern level about specific aspects of of what happened on Sunday. Yeah, I think I think there's three kind of things that, that really stuck out to me. It's the defense, it's the receiving core, and, and then it's and then it's the quarterback play. So let's start on the defensive side of the ball where concern level one to ten, one being not at all concerned, ten being fire everybody. Um I'm at like a two, maybe a two and a half. Okay. Because when you go back and you and you zoom out from the way that game ended, where the Niners were on the field for 82 total snaps, and you just watch the first 50 minutes of that game, the Niners had given up 10 points, and they forced the Cardinals to kick a bunch of long field goals, and Arizona's only touchdown came off a blocked punt. Um, I, I thought that 
they did a a pretty good job for the most part uh, up until the the last two possessions where Arizona um, went down and scored. And I, I attribute that a little bit to uh, the defense just kind of being gassed because they were on the field for so long. So my concern about the 49ers defense is is relatively low. Now, if they go out and get lit up by the Jets, then we can talk. But uh, like you said, I think the Cardinals are going to put up a ton of points this year. And at some point, I think we're going to look back and, and see that the Niners holding them to 10 through the first uh, 50 minutes of the game was was pretty impressive. Yeah, and I think you have to factor in the uniqueness of this offseason, the fact that there was no offseason program, the fact there was only 14 training camp practices. Um, there was no preseason, which I think doesn't necessarily factor in for the defense as much as some of the guys on offense who are coming back after not playing last year. Um, the preseason would have been really valuable for guys like Jarek McKinnon, Trent Taylor, um, Trent Williams to a certain extent. Jordan Reed, of course, only got 10 snaps. These are guys the 49ers are still kind of working back into the mix, and they could have really used the preseason as as much as I like to rail against how useless the preseason is for the majority of players, and Richard Sherman basically said as much after the game too. Um, you know, he called preseason the, use, the most useless thing in sports, which um, just tickled me. But, <laughs> uh, but I do think, like, Trent Taylor could have used – some preseason, like playing a couple quarters in the preseason for him would have been, would have been really nice. And same for McKinnon and Reed and all those guys. So um, I say that because the 49ers defense being on the field for 82 snaps is more than they had at any, in any game last year. Um, The air quality was obviously bad. Nick Bosa said that uh, the air quality by the fourth quarter was impacting him. And and I'm sure to a man, um, other guys would agree with him. Um, so I just think it was kind of a, a confluence of a lot of factors that went against the 49ers, and then they didn't help themselves by um, by playing poorly, really. I mean, they had coverage breakdowns. Um, the, the most notable one was DeAndre Hopkins. They didn't do well containing Murray at all. Um, I thought Robert Sala was a little bit too blitz-happy, and, and the 49ers were out of their lanes when they did blitz, allowing Murray to, to scramble and make a bunch of those plays. Um, and some of them were just Murray being Murray, uh, and I think we're going to have to get used to his ability to scramble is something that makes him extremely difficult to defend. Um, yeah. And, you know, like, so my concern level, yours is what, a two? Two, two, two and a half. <clears throat> Mine's more like a four or five. Um, mostly because it was very clear to Forrest Buckner his absence is going to be an issue. And um, it's not because Javon Kinlaw... Um, can't be DeForest Buckner. Like we already know that. Um, that's not even worth mentioning at this point. Though Kinlaw did show flashes and had a better game than I think I was expecting him to have. But it was the other guys. It was Solomon Thomas essentially being a zero. Um, you know, DJ Jones had a sack. Uh, I thought Kentavious Street was going to be in the mix based on his training camp, but he was inactive. Kevin Givens um, got some time and, and, uh, he had a nice, a a nice tackle on Murray. I guess it was a tackle. He kind of just dragged him down by, by the shirt, but it looked like Murray had a chance to get some yardage on that play. But no, I think you make a really good point in pointing out the Cardinals only had 10 points going into the fourth quarter and the touchdown that they scored was a result of the block punt. And then ultimately, like from a more big picture perspective on what happened with the game, you take away the block punt and then the touchdown that came on the very next snap um, and if the 49ers end up scoring on fourth and one instead of getting stuffed, uh, then that's essentially a 14-point swing right there, and I think the 49ers probably win the game by double digits. Right. And we're not talking about Jimmy Garoppolo in the receiving core in the way we're just about to. Um, it still be- was not good. It wasn't good, <laughs> but it wasn't good in Tampa Bay last year either. And right. we'll, I mean, we'll move on to that, but, like, you know, I, I think... Um, I just think a lot of times we judge things based off the results that otherwise wouldn't get judged if the results were different. Yeah. So like if the Niners had won the game and the receiving core was bad and Garoppolo didn't play well, that kind of would be glossed over. I think yeah. for the most part. Yeah. Right. But so. the only reason we're, we're really ringing the alarm bells is because they lost. And I think you can make a case that they lost because it was, 
a whole team thing. It was offense, defense, special teams, and that's a cliche. Um, it's it's one of the worst football cliches, but it's also true. Like you need three phases to play well, and the 49ers did not play well in any phase, and they ended up losing by four points, and they still had a chance to win, which is, you know, I guess a silver lining in in of itself. But <laughs> they played um, really bad and still could have won. Right. Yeah. Which. Uh, the receiving core, what's your concern level? Uh, let, let's amend this to what's your concern level now that they have Mohamed Sanu? And did it change at all? Um, well, I still want to see Sanu practice. I'm still yeah. uh, a little... I'm trying to figure out exactly why things didn't work out with Sanu in um, in New England. because hurt they hurt was slow. What's that? He got hurt last year and then he was slow this year. Yeah. Well... So I'm I'm curious to see how that goes. Um, I'm pretty concerned with the receiving core because I don't know how quickly. Like I I think mid season Trent Taylor is going to be much better than he was Sunday. Um, I think you know I'm going to lump Jordan Reed into the receiving core because I think that's basically what he is right now as an extra receiver um, at tight end. I think he's going to potentially be better mid season if he remains healthy. Um, I think the offense as a whole, if there's one thing that we've learned about the 49ers offense since Kyle Shanahan took over, it's that it's always much better in the second half of the season than the first. That was true in 2017. Um, it was true in 2018 and 2019. So yeah. I think they're going to be executing at a higher level. I think they're talented. The talent is going to be upgraded eventually if and when um, Debo Samuel comes back, Ayu coming back, Sanu getting comfortable. I think the receiving core is probably going to end up being pretty good if everybody can be healthy and available and start firing on all cylinders. Um, yep. So I also didn't love the game plan. There wasn't, you know, <laughs> when I talk about flow, um, the the classic outside play action play where Garoppolo takes it and then there's, you know, George Kittle or Kyle Juszczyk or receiver running wide open in the middle of the field the other way, the opposite direction. They ran That's it week flow. two. Marquise Goodwin scored a touchdown on it against uh, yeah. the Bengals. Yeah, and and that's typically something the 49ers run like four times a game, and we didn't see it at all. We didn't see Jimmy Garoppolo moved out of the pocket at all, which I thought was weird. We didn't see a lot of pre-snap window dressing, which I think is a product of who's available at receiver. Nobody's really worried if Kendrick Bourne is going in motion for a potential jet sweep at the snap. Right. At least they wouldn't have the same level of concern if that guy were Brandon Ayuk or Debo Samuel. Um, so there's stuff like that that uh, you don't have when you're missing those guys too, in addition to all the production that they have. Um, so I just thought it was it was just a very uninspired game plan. And, you know, look, I, I know Kyle Shanahan wants to keep things off the, t- off the tape for later in the year. He wants to keep everything in his bag for, you know, when it really matters. Um, it was just a very vanilla game plan. And I think it was also impacted pretty heavily by the fact that George Kittle had a knee injury and that the Cardinals were doubling him the entire game because they weren't concerned about any of the receivers. And um, and ultimately, like, Jimmy Garoppolo had a bad game irrespective of what was happening with the receivers. He just didn't look comfortable. There was no smoothness to his game. Everything seemed like it was a beat off. Wow, that's a terrible phrase. <laughs> Everything seemed like it was a second off. Yeah, there was no rhythm. There was no flow. Uh, the team that was really good, one of the best teams in the league last year on third down, converted 2 of 11, which is bad. Um, and a lot of that is because they didn't really have much success on first down. Uh, the 49ers were the best team in the league on first down last year. I think they averaged like eight yards on first down. Um Certainly wasn't the case on Sunday. So it looked like a preseason game. Yeah, it felt like an outlier game to me. It felt like something that they will correct moving forward. And and I really think, like I'll say this now, um, and we'll probably I'll probably end up repeating it on all the pods. But like, I don't think you should really worry about this team until October. Yeah, and even unless they I- go on and four in September. Yeah, or on three, right? What what I equate Sunday to was you know when you're walking outside and you think you feel a raindrop and so you like stop and you put your hand out to see if there's more rain you put your hand out to see if there's more rain or you look around to identify for more rain before you run and grab an umbrella am i making sense yeah 
<laughs> like that's what this is. Like the the there were some signs for sure of something bad to keep an eye on, but it's not like slam on the panic button. Everything is awful. If it still looks like this, like you said, if they go one and three or zero oh and four, then fine. Um, but let's let's wait and see what what they look like in October before you. We start making sweeping declarations. At least I think that's how this podcast is going to operate. Yeah. Um, so let's move on to Jimmy Garoppolo. Because I would that, like to give my most... concern level about the wide receivers first. Okay. Sorry. Six. Okay. Moving on to Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> Can I give a number for receivers? I don't think so. I'm with you on six. I think six yeah. is fair. Uh, and and it, I, I, it's more just the fact that they have so many injuries at the position and uh, yeah. Debo Samuel, it, it's not like a guarantee he's just going to come back. Um, I, I just, they don't need to go make a crazy trade right now, but, um, it's definitely worth watching for sure. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, I, we touched on it a little bit. I'm actually not as concerned as, as I think a lot of people are. And I say that because we saw him look really bad in his two week one starts prior to this in 2018 and 2019. Yep. And he wound up at least in 2018, he obviously got hurt, but last year he wound up being pretty good. The, the bigger concern for me. So, so for this season, it's like a, like a two, like I'm just not, I I think he's going to be fine this season. The, where my issue comes in with Jimmy Garoppolo is, and feel free to, to go away from this if you want, but, the bigger concern for me with Jimmy Garoppolo is that he doesn't take a step forward this year and maybe last year was his ceiling. That would that would be the the bigger issue for me. So here's how I look at the the Jimmy Garoppolo thing. So like to you to your point, he was bad in his last two week ones. He was bad in Minnesota. He completed 45% of his passes. <laughs> um, to start 2018, excuse me, one touchdown, three picks in that game, including one that was taken to the house. And again, they lost by eight, by the way, um, which sounds, which doesn't sound like a lot given that context. Uh, Tampa Bay last year, Garoppolo was not very good. 18 of 27 coming off the ACL injury, 166 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Um, he did, there were a couple uh, touchdown passes negated because of injury but just overall rewatching that game at one point during quarantine I, I did in the spring um he wasn't very good so the point being I don't think I learned anything from Jimmy Garoppolo on Sunday that I didn't already know um and I think yes. because of the unique circumstances in this offseason um I think it's going to be really tough to play clean football offensively when timing is so important and you have all these new pieces and you're missing your receiving core and George Kittle's hurt. Like the, the confluence of factors was, was against Jimmy Garoppolo in a perfect storm kind of way on Sunday. Um, that's not to excuse him playing bad. Like he looked out of rhythm. He didn't look like he trusted the interior of the offensive line at all. Um, he doesn't step into his throws with a ton of confidence like you would love to you would like to see him do um, like he did. Like to me, the thing that really stands out about Jimmy Garoppolo right now is that he looks entirely different from the 2017 version when he was light on his feet. Way. He was bouncing in. He was just bouncing away from defenders in the pocket. Um, he was really decisive with his throws he was accurate. He was on time. And, and this was all coming to the 49ers, like after coming to the 49ers in a trade. And now he has all this familiarity and he knows the offense and it just seems disjointed and you don't expect that. And I think that's the most disappointing part about it. But like you said, Jimmy Garoppolo ended up being really good over the second half of the season last year. And I don't see any reason why they can't, why that can't happen again. And look, as bad as he was week one last year against Tampa, he turned around against the Bengals, who were bad, um, and completed 17 of 25, 296 yards, three touchdowns, one pick. He averaged almost 12 yards per attempt. Like He was really, really good in week two, 
so we've seen that sort of turn on its head from Garoppolo, right? Like he can turn, um, he can turn things around quickly. So maybe something similar like that happens to the Jets, because I do think there's an element in the NFL whenever you're shoveling dirt on a good team, they tend to respond, right? Like that's just something that happens. What happens in a game is often the exact opposite of what happens in. Um, in the media or, you know, in narrative creation, everybody just sort of expected, oh, the Niners are really hungry. They're really pissed off after losing the Super Bowl. They're going to come out and thump the Cardinals. And, and I sort of thought they would. I thought they would be able to run the ball better than they did on Sunday. But in terms of Garoppolo, like, I think he's kind of a known quality, a known quantity. Uh, you want him to get better and look more comfortable. But I do think like it's week one in a pan in the COVID season. Let's take a step back and wait for the sample size to grow before you really get worried. And let's see what he looks like when the receiving core comes back. And when George Kittle is back healthy. Right. He was definitely not good, but I'm not ready to pull the plug on the Jimmy Garoppolo experiment. That's it. No. And also if, if you're so eager to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo, um, let me know what other options are available that you think would keep the 49ers in Super Bowl contention. Yeah, that's because right. that's like just, that's just it. People will point to Aaron Rodgers and be like, yeah, well, if Aaron Rodgers is going to play like he did on Sunday for, for the Packers, he's there for at least two more seasons. Yeah, they're not trading him. <laughs> <laughs> they're not just going to be like, oh, we have Aaron Rodgers playing like fire breathing dragon Aaron Rodgers again and we're we're just going to give him to to the team that took us out in the NFC title game last year like that's that's not going to happen that's a pipe dream um you know Tom Brady like did you watch Tom anybody who watched Tom Brady on Sunday Tom Brady would, looked like Jimmy Garoppolo on Sunday right so like that's that you know 44 year old Tom Brady next year like is that something you're really interested in over Garoppolo I think he's going to be fine I think he's going to be better um how much better he gets is, you know, than last year. Like the, the, my whole thing with, with Garoppolo, and I wrote a little bit about this for the sack B going into the season was the next step for him is not like he needs to be better statistically or, you know, it, he just needs to be a quarterback that Kyle Shanahan can trust in a big moment like the playoffs and not say, Hey, we're just going to be, we're just going to run over our opponent with the running game. Because that might work, like, in one playoffs, but it's not going to work again in these playoffs if the 49ers get there, right? They're not just going to be able to run over teams. I don't think that's going to happen. So they're going to need Garoppolo to be somebody that Shanahan trusts and not somebody who throws a bad interception and then Shanahan just decides, all right, I'm taking it out of his hands. We're going we're gonna to win this game with defense and running the ball because the defense isn't going to be as good this year because Buckner's gone. Um, and I think not that last year was a one-off, but I don't think the 49ers are going to have the best defense in the league this year. And so you need Garoppolo to be better and you need Shanahan to be able to trust him in big spots and not treat him like a game manager. Yep. Um, like which he essentially was in, in the playoffs, which worked for the 49ers and he was good in the first three quarters of the Super Bowl, but like you, you need Garoppolo to take that next step and be a trustworthy quarterback. He needs to more, what, what? he is right now is for every one saints game you're gonna get one of these games where he just misses yeah. open guys and he makes bad throws and it just doesn't look good and doesn't look confident or sure of himself yeah and that's it you know it that it's great when you get a game like he had in new orleans but you need those six seven eight times a year and then the the level below that is still really good, not the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Yep. So, uh, one silver lining for Garoppolo is that he, outside of the throw to McKinnon that got intercepted, where where McKinnon drew the pass interference, um, there were no really head scratching bad throws directly at a defender, which it felt like there were multiple of those a game <clears throat> last year. Yep. Um, so he cut down on those, didn't have a turnover, didn't have a giveaway, which is great. Uh, now he just needs to combine that with, um, with the, the stuff you all that all the stuff that you just mentioned. Um, so those are, we're going to go real quick through good and bad. Um, the bad is the three things we just talked about. The receivers weren't good. Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't good. And then the defense's last quarter, 
uh, was not good. I feel like we don't need to expand on that much. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the good, though, the defense through the first three quarters, and we talked about that a little bit earlier, but, dude, they'd given up 10 points, and yeah. the seven they gave up was when the Cardinals got to start on the 49ers' 10-yard line because of a blocked punt. I, I thought, um, you know, that they, they, they were historically good through the first, like, four or five weeks last year, and – I didn't think there was any chance we were going to get that again, but it's still really clear they can be a top eight or 10 defense. And if this offense clicks, that's all they need. Totally agree. I think you just need to be top. Like if to be a real like Super Bowl contender, if you're top 10 in both offense and defense, which I think the 49ers could and should be, Mm -hmm. um, then I think you're a contender. Yeah. Uh, Another good thing. Jarek McKinnon played for the first time in 966 days. Uh, Nick Wagner of ESPN tweeted that stat out. I thought that was pretty incredible. Um, is just, he wasn't, he wasn't super dominant, but three carries, 24 yards, three catches for 20 yards and uh, a touchdown. And I think he's going to grow into a larger role. Yeah, I think he's, I think ultimately, um, and Sunday was a little bit weird for Tevin Coleman because of the air quality and him having a pre-existing condition to that. So we only played a handful of snaps, but, um, I think McKinnon is ultimately going to end up being the number two running back behind Mostert for, for most of the season, as long as he's healthy. Um, and he showed signs that 16 yard run right before the fourth down, like he made a few guys miss. Yeah. Um, he's got good speed. He's returning kickoffs. Um, I think McKinnon, you know, just the fact that we talk about the res- the receivers as much as we do, the fact that he's gonna, he's a really good pass catcher and can line up anywhere and run routes and all that. Um, I think ultimately once he gets more comfortable in that role too, uh, that's going to be a really nice dynamic for the 49ers offense to have. And, and I'm happy for McKinnon. He's a good dude. Um, fellow French bulldog owner. So shout out to him oh, for that. Nice. And, what? um, yeah, happy for him. That's that's not an easy thing to sign a big deal, never play a down on that contract, have it reworked to a one-year deal that's basically the, the league minimum, and uh, and have to go through rehab like he did. Good on him, and uh, and I'm happy for him. One of the things that really stuck out to me, and I don't want to discuss this at length, but <clears throat> you mentioned his ability to run routes. Garoppolo threw to him like in tight windows a couple times. Yeah, It's pretty clear that, that he has a good rapport with, with McKinnon. And uh, and trust him. So, like I said, I expect his role to uh, to grow significantly in the offense. And then Trent Williams was awesome. He was he was. I didn't watch him for the entire game, but it felt like every time I looked at him, he was just dominating whatever he was doing. That uh, the tweet, the video that that went around um, Sunday and and Monday of him just. I think it was Jordan Hicks. Poor guy, just out of his break taking like six steps getting a full head of steam like 330 pound trent williams and then just completely dump trucking jordan hicks and he didn't even see him coming was just like i mean (laughs) it felt so bad for him but it was it was such a like if you love football hits it was such a beautiful a beautiful piece of offensive line play in that moment it was a play um, I believe it was the first quarter, maybe it was the second quarter when George Kittle had the um, had the, the jet sweep run. <laughs> Trent Williams' assignment was just to go find and and destroy the linebacker, and he absolutely did that. So if you haven't seen that video, go do it because it's uh, it was, go find it. It's it's I, hilarious. I think the design is for him to hit the linebacker like as the linebacker's moving, but the linebacker hadn't even moved yet. really really funny his eyes were in the backfield and it was like he didn't even see trent williams coming like i can't think of anything worse to happen to you unexpected on a football field than get drilled by trent williams with a full head of steam and you not have any idea he's there like that's that's like top two worst things that could happen to you on a football field i feel like if you just google like trent williams block video i'm sure it'll come up right away um Let's let's wrap this up. We are keeping, we decided, although he is with the Seahawks now, we are keeping the DeMontre Moore Memorial MVP Award. Uh, DeMontre Moore, who was uh, with the 49ers in camp last year, had a really good preseason and then got cut, and then re-signed to the team after you and I, uh, I don't want to say made jokes, but basically well, put it, we're like, put it this: he like, wasn't very, he 
he wasn't he wasn't great in his NFL career. And right. it was the, making fun. Of, so the point, the whole point of the Demontre Moore bit was we were it. making fun of all the people who were apoplectic that he didn't make the team because of what he did in the preseason. Right. Um, Which and I think we were right. We were right about that because the yeah. 49ers defensive ends, although D Ford was hurt, um, the 49ers were fine at defensive end and they didn't necessarily need Demontre Moore. And but, I had to have the conversation with Demontre Moore in person back when uh, reporters used to talk to football players in football locker rooms. Um, I had a talk with him. I was like, look, like we do this bit on the podcast. I'm going to be upfront with you. I, you know, and he was totally cool with it. Really nice guy. So I'm, I'm, I'm really happy about that. And I, I did feel bad because I, I'm, I'm never, I don't like picking on players who aren't good or at least aren't like impactful players. Like these dudes are dedicating their lives to this sport and right. trying to carve out a career in the NFL and a lot of them never make it. And a lot of them are just fringe guys. And Demontre Moore certainly qualifies as something like that. And so I'm not trying to like piss on his dream. And uh, it can come off like that with the way we talk about football sometimes. Like, oh, this dude sucks. Like, well, all right. He's still an NFL player. Right. <laughs> like he's, he's an All-American somewhere. 200 best football players in the world. Or however right, exactly. So, so you That's have to be an incredible. F- by me. There's 50 plus on a team in 30 teams. He's one of the 2,000 best football players in the world. He's a. You have to be an incredible football player to even sign on with an right. NFL team in the <laughs> so offseason. Put it that way. Is, so the point is, Demontre Moore, great guy. So we kept the MVP. Demontre uh, Moore MVP award named after him. I think as uh, long as we have this pod, it'll be the Demontre Moore. Yeah, MVP. no, definitely. And so what we were trying to do just then is explain how the meaning has changed. Yes. Um, big Demontre Moore fans on this podcast. This is a big Demontre Moore house. Uh, who was your Demontre Moore Memorial MVP? Um, we should probably ditch Memorial because he's not dead. Great point. Who was your Demontre <laughs> Moore MVP? Um, I'm gonna go with Kyler Murray because, like, he was just to me unstoppable. And the Niners' defense didn't play well. I mentioned they didn't contain him well. I didn't love the play calling and the blitzing. Um, it didn't work, and it, they didn't execute it well. Um, but, man, 26 of 40, 230 yards, a TD, and an interception. That's not like – those aren't great numbers. But adding 13 carries, 91 yards, game-high 91 yards, and a touchdown, um, just an incredibly difficult player to defend when he's moving around like that. And, uh, and I think the 49ers will be better when they play in Arizona later in the season. But um, I think it's pretty clear Kyler Murray was the MVP of the game. But you have somebody you can make a very intriguing case for. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, DeAndre Hopkins, the Cardinals wide receiver who racked up 151 yards on 14 catches, narrowly missed a touchdown. 16 targets. 16 targets. Uh, the Niners' defense is really good, and they just didn't quite have an answer for him. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't really have a lot to, to say about DeAndre Hopkins performance. He was awesome. And that's (laughs) sort of like, we talk so much about receivers on the show, but that's sort of the difference between having elite dudes who you can just say, Hey, run these really simple routes against a cornerback that you're better than. And we're going to force feed you. And you're going to have 150 yards, right? Like the Niners don't have anybody right now. With maybe maybe with the exception of George Kittle, but even then he's operating in the middle of the field, and it's much easier to double him and all that. It's he's not you can't isolate him outside. I mean you could, but it would sort of defeat the purpose of having George Kittle. Um, I real quick I want to before we get off DeAndre Hopkins here. Yeah, I would. <laughs> did you look up? Don't don't look it up if you haven't. Did you look up his PFF grade? Pro Football Focus. No, I did not. I'm guessing it's good. Okay, so I love Pro Football Focus. Uh, they're excellent. If you don't have a PFF account, uh, I recommend paying for one. It's terrific. Um, just offhand venture a guess at his grade. Uh, 92. No. 79.5. What? <laughs> Why? Because his run blocking grade checked in at a 32.7. So <laughs> is his, is, not, is his color so, still green? So yeah. Yeah. So for reference, system? PFF has a grading scale. Just if you're okay. not familiar, 60 is average. 
if you grade out at a 60, you just were the baseline level player. Anything and, 90 is elite. Like if you're, an, I think Trent Williams was like an 88 or a, something yeah, like Trent that. Trent Williams is like 88. Uh, yeah. George Kittle last year was like a, the highest graded player in the league was like a 93 something. Yeah. So for DeAndre Hopkins to get a 79.5 on a game where he had 14 catches and 151 yards is really funny. Because 79.5 is good, but good in a way that like, yeah, that guy had a good game. Not 14 catches, 151 yards. Where you're like, holy shit, that guy dominated. So, I just wanted to run that by you. Imagine being the guy that was like, yeah, Hopkins is okay. That run blocking, though. What was Murray's grade? Kyler Murray's grade. I don't have it up in front of me. Give me one second. Um, Kyler Murray graded out at a 70. Yeah, trash. Trade him. God, he sucks, dude. <laughs> yeah, PFF's funny like that. Uh, I love PFF too. I love their numbers. I have issues with some of their grading, but everybody does at some point. But let's get out of here. Yep. We got 48 minutes into this, and uh, our equipment didn't crap out, and I'm happy about that. So moving moving forward, we'll record Monday nights, uh, unless it's a Monday night game, and then we'll obviously do Tuesday. Uh, Same thing with Thursday. We'll do we'll do Friday. Um, Technology permitting. Yeah, and hopefully we we got a fix here that'll that'll continue working, um, and then we'll do another one in the middle of the week. I think we'll record it Thursday, so it'll come out Friday. So make sure to check your feeds for that. Subscribe, rate, and review if you have not. Thank you all for bearing with us, and we will see you next time as we get you ready for the Jets and 49ers. The wait is finally over. Football is back. And you might not be at a game this year, 49er fan, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. Boy, are they, and boy, am I. From game spreads and totals, those are two of my favorites, to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. I am in on the player props. You can customize player props and run parlays. It's incredible. Uh, But if you're new to betting and you just want to do your spreads and totals, that's great too. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every single day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. And don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, parachutes ready. Boy, the things I go through to get on all on rates as slow as 0.99% APR for 60 months on new vehicles with PenFed. You are aware that you don't have to be a military member to save hundreds on your auto loan, aren't you? Anyone can join PenFed. As someone terrified of heights, I probably should have looked into that. Probably. Drop me off at the shore. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash autos or call 1-800-247-5626. Advertised rates available through the PenFed car buying service. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.